Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And he said to her, and she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And now you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. Good morning again, brothers and sisters. Uh, those who are visiting, we're glad that you are here. It is really great and needed that we get together and hear God's word, uh, sit under it, listen to hear what God has to say uh, to us from it, to worship God through song and to gather with other believers. This morning we are in, uh, we continue our sermon series in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is an Old Testament book written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. It's in the Old Testament, and like Marin read, we're going to be in chapter 2. Uh, and in God's providence, this passage that we're going to preach from this morning speaks to our lives right now speaks to our situation our hurting and our sadness but it also gives us hope the hope that we so desperately need right now and so that today's sermon is going to be entitled protection and provision and we're going to see how how god steps into a tragedy and brings protection and provision hope that comes through a christ-like figure and we'll see how that is a picture of jesus christ our Savior. So, so far in the book of Ruth, if you're just joining us, if you've forgotten, so far in the book of Ruth, uh, God has, right before this, God has rescued his people out of slavery and oppression in Egypt. He's brought them into a new land, the promised land. Uh, he's defeated all of their enemies. And so the book of Judges sets up the book of Ruth. And so uh, there's, there's this character, Naomi and her husband, 
uh, Abimelech. They're Israelites. They're a part of God's rescued and redeemed and saved people. But they leave the land. And so after God has done miraculous things to save his people and give them protection and put them in a land, they leave the land because of a famine. And when they are far away, when they, they leave and they go to Moab, uh, their sons marry, and uh, then tragedy continues. Not just as there's a famine in the land and they, they choose to leave and, and run from God's provision and his people now living in Moab, but even more tragedy strikes. Abimelech dies, and both of their uh, sons also die. So Naomi is left in a far-off land, far from her, pe- from her people, far seemingly from her God, and tragedy continues. And then she hears that the famine has stopped back in Israel. And so she chooses to go back to her home, very bitter, and she tries to send her daughters-in-law back to Moab, back to their families, back to their gods. Yet Ruth, her daughter-in-law, clings to her and, and, and says, I will go wherever you go. Uh, your God will be my God. I will, I will go with you. I, I am loyal to you. I will start a new life with you. So Orpah stays, Ruth continues with Naomi, and they head back to Bethlehem, and they arrive as the the harvest is just about to take place. So in a desperate situation that seems so far like a pure tragedy, starting in chapter 2, we see a glimmer of hope. We see some protection and refuge and provision coming from someone who looks very much like Jesus. Here in chapter 2, we see that God is faithful to bring hope despite his people's continual rejection of him and their continual sin. So our passage today starts off with, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So remember, in this time in the ancient world, family and extended family are very important, very important. Not socially, not just to pass on your family name, but even important just for survival. So in contrast to many, many of the men described in the book of Judges, if you know anything about that book, the setting which Ruth takes place, in contrast to many of those men, Boaz, as soon as we meet him, he's described as a a man who is worthy. And so we see a break in the tragedy. We see a character who shows up that looks different than all the other men. A a man who looks uh, nothing like the evil, violent, selfish, abusive men that we see scattered throughout Judges, that we see scattered through the land and in the setting that Ruth takes place. Verse 2 says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so again in this story, we saw this in chapter 1, again in the story, we see this contrast between Naomi and Ruth. We're reminded again that Ruth is a Moabite. She is not a part of God's covenant people. She's, she's not a Hebrew. She's not an Israelite. And she isn't ethnically or nationally a part of the, the people that God redeemed and rescued and then made a covenant with. Naomi, on the other hand, she is a Hebrew. She is an Israelite. She's a part of the people that God rescued and saved. Yet Ruth is the one who is filled with faith. 
She commits herself to Naomi. She commits herself to the one true God. She leaves her family and her land and her false gods. And now in chapter 2, we see again Ruth sacrificially loving her mother-in-law. And even though Naomi is probably in her 50s right now and able to actually go out and work, she doesn't. But rather, Ruth takes initiative and courage, and she says, I will go out and, and work for us. I will go out and try to find someone who will bring protection and provision, who can, who can give us refuge, because we do not have a family right now. And so now, both to the first readers, the first people who would have read the book of Ruth, and to the Israelites, or the people of Bethlehem here, who are watching the story, Ruth is an unlikely hero. Ruth She's a foreigner. A description the text gives to her and a description she uses of herself. She's not an Israelite. She's not one of, uh, she's not one of the Hebrews. She's from the wrong side of the tracks. She's one of them. She looks differently than us. She speaks differently than us. She's not one of us. The first readers and the people in this context, in this story, are thinking as Ruth comes back to Israel with Naomi. Moab is not Israel. They, were, they weren't a part of God's covenant people. They were a different ethnicity. They were Israel's enemies all throughout the Bible, attacking God's people in a country that was full of evil. And even historically, in, in the Old Testament, we see that the Moabite women were actually notorious for seducing Israelite men and leading them to worship their false gods. So Ruth, yeah, she is of a different nationality of a different ethnicity, yet she's the hero of our story. The book is named after her. The book that is in the Jewish scriptures is entitled Ruth, not Naomi, the Israelite. Not even Boaz, who is another one of the heroes of this story. When all of Israel abandons God and does whatever is right in their own eyes, when anarchy reigns throughout Israel, a poor, foreign, minority widow is the one that God gives grace to, the one that God uses. He makes her the hero of this story, the, the titular character of this book in the Holy Scriptures. And if you even know the rest of the story, she is, she is an ancestor to Jesus himself, the Savior, the Rescuer, the remedy to everything wrong with this world. God chooses to use an unlikely foreign woman. He steps forcefully into Israel's story and reminds them again and again that even though that they're his covenant people, he chose them by grace alone. They were not special. They did not do anything to deserve it or to feel superior or greater than others. In fact, they are very unspecial. And in subtle and direct ways, God shows his love and care for every human man or woman, rich or poor, Israelite or foreigner. God's love has always been for all of the nations, all of the languages, all of the tribes, all of the races. And we see that screamed in Ruth. Racial superiority, national superiority, financial superiority are deep evils that have always been in the human heart. The sin breaks the heart of God and tells a lie about his character, about who he is, about what is righteous, about what is just and good. 
and it is the antithesis of the gospel that says that we are loved and chosen by nothing that we do, but by grace alone. And here in Ruth, we see Ruth emerge as one of the heroes of this story, as the character the whole book is named after. And as he does this, he reminds us, the readers, his love for all people, all colors of skin, all ethnicities, and that we're all created in his image and equally loved by him. Our passage continues. Verse 3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And so in the ancient world, they didn't have welfare systems. There were no government social safety nets. So if you didn't have a nuclear family or a greater extended family or tribe to help protect you, to help give you refuge or provision, you were in dire straits. And that right now is where Naomi and Ruth are. They have no one to take care of them, no one to provide protection, no one to give them provision or refuge as people who are new coming back into the city who are poor and, and have nothing. So Ruth does about the only thing that she can do. She goes out and gleans. So this ancient practice called gleaning that's described in the Bible what was designed by God for provision for the poor, provision for the sojourner, for the widows and orphans, and allowed them to gather in a field during harvest time and pick up any of the the grain, kernels of grain that fell to the ground or to be able to harvest around the outside, the corners and the borders of the field. So essentially, in the Old Testament law, it was designed as a welfare-to-work program. If you needed help to survive, there was a way that you could work and get at least enough food to survive. That is what gleaning is. We see this uh, a few times in the Old Testament. One of those is Leviticus 23, 22. We'll read that. It says, And when you reap the harvest of your hand, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. So here in God's law, he, he tells his covenant people, so he's rescued them out of slavery and oppression for hundreds of years. He protects them. He gives them a land. We see God's heart not just for that people that he rescued, but even the people on the margins. And this includes people who aren't even a part of Israel. Here in Leviticus uh, 19 and 23, and again in Deuteronomy 24, we see God's care not just for his covenant people, but also for the poor, for the sojourner, for the foreigner. And in this nation that he rescued and created, God commands his people to live in a way that reflects his character to live in a way that shows the watching world that he is generous and kind and that he loves everyone. He wants his people to honor him and show the surrounding nations who he is. Israel is supposed to treat the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the sojourner with kindness and generosity and love as a reflection of God's own love towards them. Not only that, but God reminds them over and over again that they were the oppressed. They were the slaves. They were the poor. They were the ones who were exiled. 
they were sojourners themselves. That is a part of their own story before God stepped in and generously and graciously rescued them and made them his own. He provided refuge for them. And he reminds them of that as he tells Israel to do that to others as well. So it is this good law that allows the poor and the foreigners to glean that we see not just the heart and character of God, but we even see our own stories. We'll hit more on this later. But like each of these Israelites, we too were the poor and powerless. We were the spiritual foreigners who were far, far from God. But God has shown us mercy. God has shown us kindness and generosity through the gospel. Let's keep reading. Let's meet a new character. Verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So right off the bat, we meet a new character in chapter 2. We meet Boaz, a, a, a guy who in, back in verse 1, I believe, who was called worthy, and he's also a, a distant relative of Naomi's husband. And the first thing we see about him is he's a man who brings blessing. He comes from Bethlehem, and he speaks the Lord's blessing over his servants. His desire for them is not his own prosperity, primarily, or that they'd work hard to make him wealthy, nor does he first check with them like a slave driver or a boss would who shows up and demands, what have you done? How much work have you accomplished for me today? But when Boaz arrives in this story, he looks very different than all the other men that we see uh, in the context of, of, of the book of Judges. When Boaz arrives in our story, he is one who declares the Lord's presence and blessing over those in his care. Sounds a lot like someone else, right? We're going to get to that in just a bit. Let's keep reading about what Boaz does. Verse 5 says, Then Boaz said to his young men who was in charge of the reapers, uh, Whose woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, She is the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi. Back from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So Boaz notices this new woman working in his field and he, he inquires about her. And he knows and hears now about her loyalty to Naomi, her faith in the one true God. And he sees her and his heart is moved. He sees her courage and her dedication and her faith. And he is moved. Verse 8 continues. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not... Go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes uh, be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged even the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And so despite not even knowing Ruth, and not owing her anything legally besides allowing her to glean in his field, Boaz moves towards Ruth. He shows her unbelievable kindness, generosity, provision, and protection. Going beyond what the law requires and demonstrating grace to someone who needs it. And now remember the setting of our story. I've said that a few times today, but it's huge to understand what's going on here in Ruth. The time 
uh, in history that Ruth takes place is the time of Judges. And so if you know the book of Judges, it's, it's, it's a wild, wild book. So the last verse in the book of Judges says this. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So if you're reading right through the Bible, you read the book of Judges. It's crazy. It's, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's a downward spiral. There is no king. No one is following God. Uh, and everyone does what is ever right in their own eyes. And then the very next verse is Ruth 1 that says, in the time of the judges. And so that's the setting of what's going on right now. So throughout the land, in the time of the judges, there was no king in the land, and everyone just did whatever they wanted. It was complete anarchy. They did uh, whatever their heart desired. And it was survival of the fittest. Very appropriate to what is going on in our city and throughout our nation right now, right? When humanity isn't living under God's rule, when humanity isn't submitting to him, when we aren't regenerated, when we aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, we naturally fall into all kinds of depravity, into sin, into violence, into evil, into hatred, into self-preservation and self-worship. We don't have to think hard to think of examples of how humanity's rebellion against God and our own sinful natures leads to just unthinkable evils. Just this week, like we've been talking about, our city lamented the death of another unarmed black man by a police officer. And many of us watched in horror and sadness seeing the video of George Floyd taking his last breath and we felt unbelievable anger and sadness at the sin and injustice we had just watched. And on top of uh, lamenting and mourning that our city had after watching uh, the killing of George Floyd, we saw our city that we love riot and literally burn to the ground. Apart from God, that is where the human heart leads. Corruption, racism, the abuse of authority, Violence, hatred, self-worship, feelings of superiority, and, that, and, and other countless acts of evil that we're seeing all throughout our city. And we see this all throughout history. We see the same thing all throughout the biblical story. There's been a lie that humanity has believed, especially recently, that our, te our, our technology, our education, our connectedness, through the internet and stuff, uh, and science, as it expands and grows, the world will continue to become a better place. As we educate more people, as we get more power and wealth and, and, and uh, technology increases, the world will just become a better and better place. And in some ways that's happened. You know, global, global poverty is down, and we are able to connect and educate people. So in some ways that is true, but in many ways that just hasn't happened. Like Chris said just a, just a few minutes ago, without dealing with the sin issue, there is no heart change. No amount of technology, education, scientific discovery, or global connection will solve the human condition, the condition of sin. Again, all those things sure can be good, and we need governments and laws and law enforcement, and we need social change, of course, but that actually doesn't change 
the heart. It doesn't defeat racism or superiority or violence or self-worship. Things like greed and violence and hate and persecution and injustice all continue even though right now in many ways we are at the apex of human uh, discovery and prosperity. Not only that, but we're more uh, connected globally than ever. Even though we're experiencing more amazing technological and scientific discoveries, even though we're the wealthiest uh, in the world that we've ever been, the healthiest that we've ever been, we're living the longest, even though all those things are true, loneliness, depression, addiction, and anxiety are at, are at epidemic levels. And this was even before the COVID-19 pandemic. And so God, in his grace and kindness, knowing the depths and the evil of the human heart, gave us his law. He gave his people the law. And through the law, it, it uh, holds evil back. Through the law, we now have a knowledge of sin. We have a knowledge of what is good and evil. And God, for a time, used the law, the Old Testament law, to restrain evil and sin. He knew that apart from the law coming in, they would default to things that we've seen all throughout this week, th things that we see all throughout the Bible, things that the human heart always does. He knew that we'd default to hating those who are different than us, who have a different skin color than us, who come from a different country than us, and who speak a different language. He knew that in our sin, we'd default to greed and wanting to keep all the grain for ourselves and not care about the sojourner or the poor or the widow or those on the margins. And so he gave us, uh, uh, he gave Israel, he gave the ancient world a law like the one we just read uh, in Leviticus 23. And it comes up again in Leviticus 19. When you reap from the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleaning after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyards bare. N uh, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. But while there is some goodness in the law, there's some ways that the law uh, tells us what is evil and restrains evil a bit for a time. God's heart for the marginalized and his desire for justice in uh, compassion are seen uh, in some ways through the law. In our story today, we see something even greater than the law show up. So human depravity, humans' hearts are evil. God put in the law to help restrain that for a bit and, and in some ways, but it never could actually fully work. And then here in the book of Ruth, we see an interruption to the tragedy of the human condition. We see a Christ-like figure show up. So according to the law, Boaz was doing all he needed to do. He allowed uh, poor people to glean in his fields. Yet when Boaz hears the acts of loyalty that Ruth has for Naomi, when he hears about her, uh, her love for her mother-in-law, when he hears about her faith, Boaz responds with scandalous amounts of kindness, generosity, provision, and protection. He goes far beyond what the law requires. He moves beyond just obligation to kindness. He moves beyond provision to generosity. 
He brings refuge for hurting people. He, he, he brings provision and protection. He tells Ruth, remain in my field so she will receive an abundance of food. He provides for her by telling her to stick close to his other servants, to the other women, knowing that she will be both provided for and protected. He even protects her by telling his male servants under his command that they will not harass you. They will not touch you. And I, I am commanding it. I am demanding that my male workers show you respect. And not even that, but he even says that my servants are going to serve you. The young men in my employ, they will draw water and give it to you when you are thirsty. So in our story, in this great tragedy, we see a Christ figure show up and give scandalous amounts of grace. Reversing social norms and human nature, this Christ figure, Boaz, lifts up the poor and the powerless, the foreign widow, and he pr protects her. He gives her refuge. He provides for her at his own expense. As Charles Spurgeon uh, once said, Jesus is our glorious Boaz. So as we're seeing this, this hero in this character, this, this uh, character that interrupts the tragedy, we see a picture of Christ. Boaz resembles Jesus in how his righteousness and love, his protection and provision, surpass what the law required and looks a lot like Jesus. Last week as we studied chapter 1, we saw Ruth as a Christ figure. We saw Ruth as a, a, a picture in her promise to Naomi, to her mother-in-law, the same promise that Christ gives us. As Chris said last week, uh, in Naomi's promise, we see Jesus and his promise to us, to his church, to his people. I will be with you to the end of the age, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, when you sin and when you don't, nothing will separate you from my love. Ruth, tell, Ruth told Naomi, and we can see Christ promising that to us, his church as well. This week, we see Boaz as a Christ figure. In his protection and provision for a foreigner, we see a picture of Christ that surpasses the law. And in Ruth, we see ourselves. We see our sin. We see how in our sin and our, our rebellion against God, we are far from him. We are distant from God. We are foreigners to his kingdom. Far from him, spiritually and physically. We see ourselves in Ruth in chapter 2. But by God's grace, we're desired by him. We're welcomed and pursued by our God. And he offers us refuge. He offers us protection. He offers us provision, life. And as we end our passage today, as we, are, as we reread these last few verses in Ruth uh, and her language that speaks not just of her reality and her situation, but our own. In our sin, apart from faith in Christ, this describes all of our situation. And if you're not a Christian here today, look at Boaz's acts of kindness and his desire and see that. That's just a whisper of how Christ feels for you. Pastor Jerome Gay, a fellow Acts 29 pastor, in his commentary on the book of Ruth, writes, Boaz shows us how Jesus treats us. He doesn't look at our sin and then withdraw from us. Rather, he looks at our sin and he says, I want to take that. Come to me, 
recognizing you are a sinner in need of a Savior. I don't need your so-called righteousness or feel-good positivity. Simply give me your sin and I will give you my spirit. Come to my table. So as we reread these last few verses, see Ruth as a picture of ourselves. See Boaz as a picture of Christ. Verse 10. Then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, Then we said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Like Ruth, we are true foreigners to God. That is our reality. In our sin and in our rebellion, each one of us will run away from God as far as possible. Yet in his mercy, he chased us down, not for punishment, but for our own good. Through faith in Jesus, we have now found favor in God's eyes. Through trust in Christ's death and resurrection, through trust in the gospel, God has now taken notice of us, we who were against him and far from us. Through Christ, we now have God's favor upon us and as we leave our old identities as we repent of our sins of individuality and self-sufficiency and self-worship we now receive protection and refuge and provision from our god both physical as well as temporal both physical and temporal as well as spiritual and eternal through Christ, we now have rescue under his wings and have been given grace as a reward. And like Ruth, our story is that even though we originally weren't one of his, we didn't serve him nor were of his covenant people. He still spoke kindly to us. He comforted us and he graciously lavishes protection and provision on us. We're going to end in Ephesians 2 that describes the human state, our state, apart from Christ. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ, you who were once far off have now been brought near the blood of Christ. I want the church and everyone who's listening here today, apart from faith in the gospel, apart from trust in Jesus Christ, we are far from God. We are running in our sin and our evil. We're running towards hell into a, a burning building that will never stop burning. Yet through faith in, in, in Jesus Christ, he offers rescue. He calls to us. He desires to be an even greater Boaz. That through his own sacrifice, he runs into that bur burning building and, and, and rescues us out of it and then dies in our place, giving us life so whether this is for the first time or whether it's for 
the, the millionth time, but, but in God's sovereignty, he, he needs you to hear this again this morning. Know that in our sin, we are far from God. We are foreigners. Yet, we can be brought near God. We can be forgiven. We can be chosen and desired and welcomed into his family. Not through our hard work, not through our ethnicity or what family or nation we were born into, but like Ruth, we can be brought near to our Savior, to our God, through the blood of Christ. Let's trust in that. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this timely uh, story in Ruth 2 that shows how much you love us, that shows us our own story, that shows us in our sin how hopeless we were. The tragedy of Ruth 1 and the beginning of 2 is our story. It's a picture of all of humanity's story. Yet, a Christ figure shows up. Yet there is now hope. Yet provision and protection and refuge breaks into this tragedy through a Christ figure. And so let us look to that Christ figure who, who brings hope, not just for eternity, which he does, but also for the here and now. So Jesus, we pray for our city. We pray for our church. Help us gospel people to, to, to bring the gospel in word and deed, to love those who are different than us because you loved us who are far from you and very different. Let the gospel change our hearts, kill hate and racism and superiority in our own hearts. Help us to be the most humble, gracious people in our city because that how can we not be? So Spirit, we need more of you to, to, to make us even more into that. We thank you, Jesus, that we have hope in the gospel, both now, today, uh, and for eternity. And we, we celebrate that today, even while we lament and mourn right now. We thank you, Jesus, for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.